Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Living with Emuna. For those watching online, I apologize that we are a minute late. We strive to be on time. One of the gifts of Corona, because we pivoted to be online, we've been much more on time, but we had a little technical difficulty. And if Hashem wills, we will not have technical difficulty, and you will be able to watch and join us from a distance from afar. I want to thank our generous sponsors on the Emuna Shear for the year, years now, Dr. Zavi and Bella Morgan, who sponsored the Munashir memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbit. I told uh, Brian's uncle uh, last week when I saw him, I said, what a privilege it is every Wednesday morning I get to use Brian's name, invoke his memory, and think about him. And uh, to learn Amuna from someone who is such a source of strength of Amuna is a great privilege. So uh, we're grateful to the Morgans for all that they do, for their generosity. Also a memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Chanzer, as well, who was an example of living with Amuna. So Munashir is also sponsored by Hannah and Abeluth. Thank you very much on the earth site of her father, Jack Wilder, on their wedding, wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary. Does Abe get a piece of jewelry? Does he need a good, I have a good jeweler. I know a good jeweler. And by Anna Cohn, in memory of her beloved father, Nathan Wasserman, is the Shomer Shadav and Aliyah, by the Saka family, commemoration of the 50th year site of Yosef Ben Salim, and by Abigail Alpern for the Rufu Shlem of her brother, Avon Baruch Ben Zichel Gittel. Thank you all for your generosity. Should be Nishmas, should be for Rufu Shlema and for all that good stuff. We are back in Revolba. We've been learning the Sefer Ha'aros, the light of and the um, ideas of Roshlom Avolbezatzal, the great Mashkiach of Yerushalayim. We last left off when we were discussing Hoshana, the Shalashos Hoshana, the idea that before Mashiach there'll be a period of darkness, and even in that darkness, we have to see the light, we have to believe in the light. And here we are again, entering another period of darkness, and relative to darkness of our ancestors, this is mild, relative to those who've lived through crusades and inquisition and holocaust, relative to those who struggle with terminal illness and crisis, financial devastation and crisis and the like, having to put a mask on again or distance again or figure out this again is relatively mild. And yet, for those of us who felt we were past it, turned the corner, went back to some level of normal life, here we are back in the dark. We had stepped out into the light and it feels like we're going back into the dark and I don't know about you, but I, I've been having a lot of conversations with him, just wondering, what's the plan here? What's the game plan? What's it all about? When Corona first struck, I, I Googled about the um, Spanish flu. I was curious, how long do pandemics last? Spanish flu lasted seven years. And I'll never forget, I said to Yochevet, I said to myself, ha, ah, seven years? This thing won't last seven weeks, maybe seven days. Look who we are, look how we've advanced, look what we can do today. Of course, you know, forget about it, right? Now it's hard to imagine it lasting less than seven years. Variants and variants, the light, the dark. Oi, oi. So this is, uh, the good news is that we're close to Mashiach. If we're finding ourselves in that darkness, we're getting closer and closer to the period of, of Mashiach. But we have to see Hashem's guiding hand even within that darkness, to feel that light even within the dark, to recognize that even sometimes when something negative happens, there's a guiding hand. So before we delve back into Revolba, I want to tell you something from the Parsha. I didn't get to in last year's Parsha Shir, on Shmos, and I didn't get to yesterday in the Parsha Shir on Shmos, so I got to get it out one way or another, and I'm going to tell it to you. And if you're listening to Living with Amuna, and it's not Parsha Shmos, you're catching up some other time, it's still worth listening to this idea. Pasuk says, banos, The high priest of Midian, <coughs> Yisro, had seven daughters. Only thing better than six daughters is seven daughters. And these shepherdesses came, they were the, uh, tending to the flock of their father. Vayavoa ro'im vayigarshum, vayakam Moshe vayoshi'an vayashk es tonam. 
Hashtag me too. These shepherdesses, Yisro's daughters, come to the well and they're being bullied. They're being abused. They're being assaulted by the other shepherds at the well. At the well. And Jewish people have always stood up even among corrupt societies. We, of course, have our own challenges and we have to confront them. But on the whole, Baruch Hashem, the Torah helps calibrate our camp- compass. Baruch Hashem, the Torah helps hopefully elevate Jewish men to live a different way. And that began with Moshe. Vayoshian. Moshe comes to the well and he rescues them. He sees these women, they're being assaulted, they're being abused, they're being attacked, and Moshe stands up and he rescues them. They come to their father, Why are you home so quickly today? What's going on? The day's not over yet. Why are you home earlier than usual? And they say, and here are the key words. You ready? They come up to Ruel, and he says, What happened? Why are you home early today? So they said, Ah, something happened at work today. Something happened at the water cooler known as the well. There was an Egyptian. What happened is, Abba, Tati, Dad, I don't know what you call your father in Midian. They said, We were getting abused. We were being assaulted at the well. Those bullies, these low-life shepherds, they keep coming. They have a big kiddush club at the well. They're intoxicated. Then they lose their sense of appropriateness and boundaries. They're abusing us. But listen to what happened, Dad. Ish Mitzri, there was an Egyptian man. He saved us. It wasn't enough that he saved us. But then he helped draw the water from the well. He fed our flock. We're more efficient than ever. And here we are. We're home. Unbelievable. What do you want for supper? What do you want for dinner? Unbelievable. This hero, where is he? You didn't invite him for supper? Do you know how hard it is to get shidduchim these days, girls? You just let him walk away? You had a winner? He's a hero. He's strong. He confronted the bully and he, and he drew you the water and he spoke to you nicely. What are you, out of your minds? You let him get away? Where is he? So the big question, what should jump out at you? In this whole story, this psukim I just read you, what jumps out at you? How did Yisra's daughters introduce who Moshe was to their father? An Egyptian man saved us. So what's the simple understanding of an Egyptian man saved us? He's from Egypt. He spoke Egyptian. He had an Egyptian accent. He was wearing Egyptian clothing. He walked like an Egyptian. So they said, so they said, an Egyptian man. So the Medrash Tanchuma says, V'chidmus ish mitzri haya Moshe? Really? Did Moshe walk like an Did he look like, did he talk like an Egyptian? This is Moshe Rabbeinu. True, he grew up in the palace of Paro, the king. Rather, the Medrash says something amazing. The women were not talking about Moshe. You know who saved them? Do you know who saved them? An Ishmitri. Who's the Ishmitri who saved them? Rewind the story. Back up the truck. In Mitzra, why is Moshe in Midian to begin with? How does he make his way to Midian? Because he leaves the palace to go check in on his brothers and he sees an Egyptian man who is smited. Nobody uses that word to smite other than when you're translating Parsha Shmos. But he sees an Egyptian man who is assaulting someone else and Moshe can't bear to watch this corrupt behavior. So he steps in, he intervenes, he saves the Jew and the Egyptian, he kills the Egyptian. And now because of that, he has to run. So these girls, these women around the well, when they come home and report to their father what happened, they say, not Moshe saved us. You know who saved us? The Egyptian man who's buried in the sand in Egypt, but who was assaulting the other person that led Moshe to intervene, that Moshe then killed him, that Moshe then ran. This whole chain of events only launched, only began. Why? Because it's unbelievable. Ish Amazing, amazing idea. So Rav Druk, Rav Yisrael Meir Druk says, 
Shekach Amru Benos Yisrael Moshe. So the daughters of Yisra say to Moshe, thank you for saving us. So Moshe says, How did these women know about it? How did they know to go home and report to their father about it? How would they have known what precipitated what led to the chain of events that brought Moshe to Midian? The answer is, Moshe himself, when they're thanking Moshe, Moshe says, what are you thanking me? The only reason I was in the right place at the right time, the only reason I was here in this moment to help save you, is because of this Egyptian man. This wicked, terrible, ill-intent, wicked man in Egypt, but he's the reason you were saved. Because of what he did, it got me involved, which led me to run here, which led me to be there, which led me to save you. Unbelievable. So therefore, when they go home and report, quoting Moshe, they say, Ish Mitzri, there was an Egyptian man. It's an amazing idea. And then the Medrash goes on and quotes, there's a Moshe Echad. Think of it as a parable. So what happened? A, uh, a snake, some kind of animal, uh, bit by a ratzlas. So the man whose leg was bit goes to run to put his leg into the water. When the man runs down to the river to soak his leg because he was bit by a snake, what does he find in the water? A baby, a child is drowning. So he sticks his hand in and he saves the child. The child says, Lule if you weren't here, I would have died. I was drowning. I wasn't able to stay afloat. So Amrlo, the man says, what are you talking about? I didn't save you. You know who saved you? The snake. The snake. And that was the same thing. The daughters of Yisro say thank you. And Moshe says, don't thank me. Thank the snake, this Egyptian man. That's the only reason I was in the right place at the right time, positioned to be able to, to, be able to save you. It's an amazing, amazing thing. First of all, it's the humility of Moshe. Moshe could have said, hey, you're welcome. You have any dinner at least? Offer me something. You know, I saved your lives. But he doesn't. Such humility and such faith. His whole life is centered around, not me, not I, not my ego, but Hashem put me in this position. Hashem enabled me. Hashem allowed me. Hashem took care of everything, everything about this. Everything about this. Shebizchus. Shahargo is Galgo Kolasipur. Because he killed the Egyptian, it led everything. No reason to be grateful to me. I didn't do anything. It was all the Egyptian man. Now you have a great contrast. Paro. Parsha begins with Paro Asher Lo Yodas Yosef. Paro, who should have been so indebted to Yosef for saving the economy, for saving Egypt, for saving the world. He forgot Yosef. He chose to forget Yosef. Moshe Rabbeinu is the opposite. Moshe doesn't see himself, and he orchestrates, he sees the whole thing the way it began. And Paro, who should have seen Yosef as the one saving him, thinks he's the one who's in control. He's the one who's in charge. And we have that choice about how we live our lives and what we, and what we see. It's amazing, amazing. So yesterday we had a funeral for one of our beloved members, Marcus Whitstam. Marcus Whitstam of blessed memory, a big character and a wonderful uh, person and uh, sad, sad loss. And his son, Nathan, said at the funeral the following amazing story. Marcus was about Shuva. Marcus's father died when he was eight years old. He grew up in, in Ireland. He was named after his uncle, Marcus Whitstam, who had a factory in Ireland during the Holocaust, and who, because of his factory, his uncle, Marcus Whitstam, was a Polish Jew who moved to Ireland. And during the Holocaust, he had a factory, and he was able to, at great ex personal expense, secure visas to bring Polish Jews to Ireland, claiming he needed their expertise in his factory. 
and he was dubbed the Irish Oscar Schindler. He saved dozens and dozens of Jews. That was his uncle Marcus Whitstone for whom he was named. And at eight years old, his father died. He went to London. He was in an orphanage, a boarding school. His story was fascinating. He became a Balchuva. You know how he became a Balchuva? Nathan told the following story. If you'd ask Marcus, why are you observant? Why are you from? The answer is a broken tooth. A broken tooth? The answer is when he was in this boarding school in England, a young boy, a young man, he broke a tooth and he had a cousin who was a dentist and the cousin was observant. So the cousin said, I'll take care of your tooth on one condition. You have to spend Shabbos with me. You have to come to me. I want you to experience Shabbos. Come to my house for Shabbos. No problem. Meet me at the office. I'll take care of your broken tooth. Yeah, Marcus thought it was a small price to pay, a good meal, a hot shower, a nice bed, family for a weekend. Why not? And that Shabbos led to his becoming observant, learning in yeshiva and having a beautiful family and, uh, and, and the rest of the story. But what led to his becoming observant? A broken tooth. It's the same thing. Moshe Rabbeinu says, don't thank me, thank the Mitzri. The baby says, you saved me from drowning. Don't thank me, thank the snake that bit me. So Marcus, how did you become observant? Not my cousin, thank the broken tooth. Had he not had the broken tooth and not called the cousin the dentist and not spent the Shabbos, and who knows what might have been. Why am I sharing all that with you? Because Hoshiana shows Hoshiana that in this period of darkness, we don't know what feels like darkness in that moment, what feels like a snake bite, what feels like a broken tooth, what feels like for Moshe having to run away from Egypt, from his home, and fleeing to Midian, what feels like darkness and what feels like difficulty and what feels like a challenging time in the moment, we don't know what chain of events it, it launches. We don't know. Sometimes we get to understand retroactively. Sometimes we get to look back at life and try to dissect and analyze and evaluate how did we get here and what had to happen and isn't it incredible and thank God that worked out that way. Sometimes we never know. We just had a broken tooth or we just had a snake bite or we just had to run from our home. But what it means to live with faith, what it means to be living with emuna what it means to be living with Hashem-centric life is also when you break the tooth, not to get angry, not to get resentful, not to panic, but to realize this broken tooth is a good thing. I don't know why right now. I don't know what it's going to lead to, who it will introduce me to, or how it will transform my life, but Hashem doesn't make me break my tooth unless it's for a good reason. Hopefully we'll discover why Marcus looked back at life and understood why and passed that on to his son so that his son spoke at his funeral and said, my father attributed his becoming observant to a broken tooth. He looked back and said the best thing that ever happened to him was breaking that tooth. So it means that when we break our tooth, stay calm and carry on and realize Hashem broke our tooth because who knows why? When we get bit by a snake, who knows why? When the flight is delayed, when we get stuck at the red light, when we burn the kugel, when we... Much more significant consequential things, who knows why? Who knows why? We're back in Revolve. That's my second cup of coffee, but still, brachas still have to be good. So, Revolba says something I find so reassuring. The Volba, the great Mashkiach of Yerushalayim, the great Revolba, he says, you know, sometimes I begin to feel chalisha ba'avoda. Sometimes I begin to feel weak in my service of Hashem. I'm not so passionate. I'm not so on fire. I'm not so plugged in. I'm not so connected. I think then to myself, I think this is my period of darkness. 
just like the day cycles between light and dark. Why did Hashem design the world that way? Why not just be light all the time? People like me would never go to sleep. It would be a disaster. <laughs> die a Halila very young. You need it to get dark, so you know there's night, so you go to sleep. But why didn't he just make it light all the time? We can be more productive, more efficient. Why not make it light all the time? There are places, never for a fast day, find yourself in those places, yeah. right? Where it's like light for like 22 and a half hours of the day. Your whole sleep cycle, fast days, Shabbos, Antarctica. Yeah, so it's a, it's a long, long day. Why did Hashem create a world with light and dark? Because the significance, the symbolism of light, light and dark is also part of the cycle of life. Not just environmentally, not just naturally do we go through light and dark day and night, but in our lives we go through those cycles. We go through periods of light. There's great joy and great blessing and great simchas. There's great success and great accomplishment. There's good health. There's happiness. There's nachas. And then there are dark periods. There are dark periods. You know, there are people who can tell you, 1972, 1986, 2021, what that year was. Some people can talk about a year. They made three simchas, three weddings in one year, and a bat mitzvah, and a bris, and a what a year it was. What a year it was. The light was unbelievable. It got sunburned from the light. It was unbelievable. And people will talk about a year in which they suffered the devastating losses. They lost people, and they had a financial collapse, and they got divorced, and a child. It's a dark... So we have to know, though, the same way that if you make it through the night, the sun will come up tomorrow. The sun will come up. You have to know that the sun will come up. It will be light again. It's just like the day cycles. So too our lives, we have these cycle. So says Ravul, but when I feel like I'm entering a period of darkness, I strengthen myself and I have to prepare. I have to be able to secure. I have to double down. I have to be resilient to be able to ride this wave of darkness to get through this night in order to wait for the sun to come up again. The Gemara says, The Gemara says that when Mashiach is coming, there'll be an explosion of chutzpah. It's a very depressing Gemara. Gemara says that just prior to Mashiach's arrival, the world will be upside down. The world will be inside out. Everything's going to be backwards. Instead of it being that honor and dignity are what define the day, chutzpah I just wrote an article for this week. Wall Street Journal had an article a couple days ago that the pandemic has brought a proliferation of profanity. They measure online the use of curse words and profanity and people just don't have what it takes to even speak with dignity and with class and the level of profanity, the level of cursing. And the article quotes all the different reasons why, because we're tired and we're spent and we have a casual thing and we're in each other's living rooms because of Zoom and all of these comfort and casual and whatever the reasons are. And royalty will turn into heresy. And and homes that were Honorable places will be filled with promiscuity and um, there'll be a, a dissolving of, of wisdom and hi- truth will be hidden and the young will challenge and embarrass the older and the older will be standing up the older will be afraid of and fearing the younger. All these things may sound familiar. They're all it's an accurate description of what's happening 
which is depressing, but it's also very hopeful. Maybe we're ot, ot, maybe we're right there. Maybe he's coming. So says the Gemara Sota Memtes So what do we rely on? What do we rest on? What do we lean on? All we can have left. We look around and we say this world is inside out and backwards and upside down. We don't even know who anyone is, what they are. We're living in a crazy world. The professor is fired, has to apologize because he talked about when a woman has a baby. He has to apologize because he said when a woman has a baby. And he should have never have said that. He should have said when a person has a baby. And you say, this is this Gemara. What, what, what world are we living in? We're back in the dark ages. We don't know anymore. Upside down, right from wrong, who we're canceling and who we're promoting and who we, has millions of followers online and who we say, we're living in an upside down, inside out, backwards world. And na'arim t'nei yabinu. Younger people have no respect for authority. Older accomplished people are bowing down, are submitting and surrendering, are afraid of the younger people. Gemara is an unbelievably accurate description of what's going on. So what do we rely on? What's left? The Ribbonu Shalom. Bor Kayom, says Ravoba. It is as clear as day. It's as clear as day, says Ravoba. Ravoba is writing, he passed away already many years ago, but he's writing in his time. It's clear as day we're living in the period of Ikvas of the Mashiach. We are on the verge. We are at at. We're in that last time period. Tvaram Rabbi Mimasha Nishnabigamara. There's such an assault on religion. There's assault on religious values. There's assault on religious personalities. There's assault on religious ideology. When we arrive in this position, where the whole world is inside out, we're living in such a world of what's left? The answer is the Pasuk Shlomo Amar tells us, Tzadik And you say, how can I live like this? How can I live in this world of political correctness? I don't know which words I could use. I don't know who I could talk to. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's the law. How do I live like this? The answer is, Dip in and double down and remember the Zeribon Shalom. Zeribon Shalom. And unapologetically stand for his values, his ideals, sensitively. We're not insensitive, and we don't rub it in anyone's face, and we don't use religion as a weapon. We should be sensitive. We're living in complicated times. There's a lot of people in pain because there is a lot of confusion, and the world is contributing to that confusion. So we have to have enormous sensitivity when we're dealing with many of these issues. I'm not advocating or suggesting that we use religion as a club to bang people on the head. Tremendous sensitivity, but also unapologetically standing up for what we know is true, for what we believe on, without compromise, without watering it down, and without adding to the confusion. In a generation where we know we don't have truth anymore. What's true? Things that we always knew were true from the beginning of time. Things that we knew were true from the beginning of time are no longer true. How do you live in this world that we don't know what's true anymore? Simple facts, simple biological, anatomical facts, things that we knew. Again, I, I say with sensitivity. We have to have sensitivity when we discuss and specifically we talk to people who are struggling or not struggling or don't know they're struggling with these issues. But while at the same time that we have sensitivity, we also have to have truth. 
Who's left as the ambassadors of truth in this world? We hope the pendulum will swing back in the other direction. And there are signs that it is beginning to. But even if it doesn't, what's left? HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bilvad. We answer to Him. We work for Him. We report to Him. And He is what informs and inspires our sense of truth. Ve'alav nisha'in. And we lean on, we lean on Him. Aleinu lahamin bo ad kadeh hizkarvas elav yizborach. Raka ideh zanitan lahagiyah lechol amalos. Only by connecting and grabbing onto Him can we get to all of the high levels. You know, there's a panic, there's an earthquake, children go to find their parent. You're on the boat and it's rocked, they go grab onto their parent. There's a blackout, the lights go out, they go grab onto the parent. So the darker it gets, the stronger you have to hold on to the tati, the stronger you have to hold on to the mommy, the stronger you have to hold on to Avinu Hashem. It's not that it's darker, so therefore it's harder to find him, so therefore figure it out without him. Person might be tempted to say, we're living in such a dark, confused, inside out, backwards world, it's harder to find him than ever. So, I'll figure it out on my own. It's the opposite. The darker, the scarier it gets, the bigger the threat, the higher the earthquake is on the Richter scale, the greater the category of a hurricane, the greater the danger, the threat, the darker the blackout is, the more you have to hold on to the parent. They grab on. Have you ever had a scary moment? You can walk off a roller coaster with your child and your arm is black and blue. Your mom is black and blue afterwards. The scary part of the roller coaster. They grabbed you, they held you so tight. They dug the fingernails into your skin and you're black and blue because they held so tight. They held so tight. Take a child to the doctor and they're going to get their shot and you say, squeeze my finger. You're screaming louder than the kid getting the shot. The scarier something is, the harder, the, the tighter you hold on. So that says Revolba is the message for us. Scarier the world is around us. Omnicron, sounds like a transformer. Omnicron is coming to get us. So whatever the later variant's going to be, you got tornadoes in Kansas. You got, just the world, every day you wake up and you say, will there be a deal with Iran? Is Iran, are they going to bomb? Every day you say, what am I going to find today? What am I going to find today? You come home, from, come home from a vacation, there was a fire in your air conditioning. What am I going to find today? You wake up, you say, you have no idea what today's going to bring. Who's going to test positive? How is it going to change? Because I have to quarantine. It's going to change my whole schedule, my plans. My... That's the best case scenario because everyone's healthy and well, just inconvenienced. How am I going to change my life and my schedule? The darker it gets, the tighter you have to hold on. Don't be distracted and don't give up. Don't have despair. The darker it gets, the tighter, the tighter we hold on. The tighter we hold on. Mashatiyar nukan ena yerida. Ranul Bottom of page, Pezayin. Mashetayarnu kan ina yirida. Zematzav shal yamutu kol mosdei aretz. Ismotetus hachayim hakilkaliyim, hachavritiyim hamishpachtiyim, hamisriyim hamedayinim. Maflihu echazah baruch kacham ro'u kol zos lefnei alfayim shana, but bihiris kazos. How is it? The more, you know, I haven't seen people write about this. It'd be a fascinating study I wish people, it's not a safe space for anyone to actually talk about this. We're living in an unprecedented time of progress. In some ways, we measure the progress. In some ways, we have automated cars and they're getting only better and better. And there'll be a point where you take a nap in the back seat and your car gets you from point A to point B and wakes you up when you get there. It's going to happen in our lifetime. It's getting closer and closer to it. And people can now, not astronauts, some people who want to take a ride to the moon can hop a ride to the moon. And, and I, I've told you this. 
The fact, if you don't know this feature, you should, because if you have children who live in New York and in Israel and elsewhere, and you're all in a family WhatsApp group, you could press one button, the little video camera, it says group chat, and now multiple screens, and everybody pops up, and you're having a big conversation with everybody who lives everywhere. This is George Jetson stuff. This is incredible, crazy stuff. This is Disney Wheel of Progress stuff that's now outdated and, uh, you know? This is, we're living in a time of insane progress. Omicron came, so in the lab, they're like, don't worry, we'll have a new antibody infusion treatment out within a few weeks. We know how to tweak it to the latest variant. It's unbelievable, mind-boggling stuff. It's mind-boggling stuff. Mind-boggling stuff. The progress in our time is mind-boggling. And yet, when it comes to morality and ethics, we're going backwards to the Dark Ages. We're going backwards to, to Greece. We're going backwards to Egypt, ancient Egypt. We're going backwards in promiscuity and moral decadence and moral decay and moral confusion. We're going backwards. I haven't seen anyone talk or write about this. I don't even mean from a Torah perspective. I mean from a general perspective that how we could simultaneously be warp speed going forward in one direction and warp speed going backwards simultaneously when it comes to others. So you feel like hopeless despair. If you're not concerned about your children and grandchildren, you're crazy. Who knows who can get caught up in what and who will end up where and who will get smitten by what idea and value. So Chazal, our rabbis knew the answer. Our sacred Torah knew the answer. Double down and hold tighter to Abba, to your father. Grab onto that life vest. Grab onto that anchor. The winds are blowing like unprecedented speeds. Hold on, hold on. So our rabbi's Mesecha Sota was 2,000 years ago. Ravina Ravashi, the close of the Gemara, was 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, they described exactly what we're going through now. And they told us the problem, and they told us the solution. And what's the solution? Avinu Now, I'm not advocating withdrawing necessarily from the world around us as confused, as complicated as it is, it's a beautiful world. And Hashem wants us to engage it, and He wants us to extract the beauty from it, and He wants us to contribute to it. Society is still filled with a lot of beauty and a lot which enriches. I'm not advocating withdrawal, but we have to be more vigilant than ever as we confront that world and as we try to draw the best from the world. And we have to feel Avinash Vashemayim looking over our shoulder. He's with us. He's with us. I'm going to get in trouble now by ending with this. Maybe I should quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> I got a voice note from a woman in Israel. I never met her. I don't know her. Yesterday. And she had a group of seminary girls at her Shabbos table. I won't tell you the two seminaries, but from two uh, typical uh, classic non-Orthodox seminaries. And at the Shabbos meal, they told her how angry they are. And why are they angry? Because as they've had this growth spurt in Israel in seminary, and they've discovered values and ideals and lifestyle choices and what is important, they are registered to go to universities in which it will be almost impossible to live those values and ideals. And they are very angry. How come nobody told them when they were applying to colleges? How come no one warned them or cautioned them? How come no one told them who they are and who they're meant to be and made sure they'd be in an environment which would protect and help them be that? And how are they registered and might end up in a place where they can't be true to what they've discovered is the most authentic version of who they are. So this woman called me and said, this was the conversation at my Shabbos table in Israel. 
I don't know why she ended up on my WhatsApp group thinking I could make a difference with this. But said, how could be at the end of a 12 year of education, a parent spending hundreds of thousands of dollars that were equally celebrating, considering and getting into and attending places that in the world today, I, I don't know that we sufficiently understand what's happening on these campuses. They're not neutral. It's not just that there's not like a Gemara Shir going on. It's not that there's not necessarily a great minion or a Shabbos meal or a Musr Shmuz. It's not that it's a par of place. You, you, you can't imagine the, the assault and the values and the pressures when it comes to modesty, morality, when it comes to Israel, when it comes to anti-Semitism. And, and again, this is not a wholesale, it's us to go and you can't go and there are exceptions. And I'm not, I'm, that's not what this is. That's not what this is. But it's, it's having an honest evaluation of who we are and when we're sending and how are we preparing them and are they ready and, and what does it look like and what are the results? Are we doing the research to understand the data that our kids, we spend the 12 years and the hundreds of thousands of dollars and what do they look like on the other side? In four years, do they undo 12 years or 13 or 14 years? Do they undo 20 generations? What's happening? Again, this is not a wholesale rejection. There are people who should go and who thrive and do better in that environment because they have to stand out. I understand every situation is different and I'm a big advocate of nuance in life. I don't believe that anyone should just stand up and say anything is entirely wrong or entirely right. There's nuance with it. But, but are we really, are we being mindful? Are we being aware? So this woman left me this long voice note. There was nothing wrong with it, but one of the great gifts Hashem has given me in the last year is that on WhatsApp you could listen in multiple speeds. I feel like Hashem did that for me. There's nothing wrong with the long voice note. Well, Hashem, it was beautiful. I just could be more efficient in listening to it. And I hope and pray she's not listening to this. It was, I'm, I'm glad that she left the long voice note because it's raising this awareness and it woke, it woke me up to that. And she wasn't, you know, shrying a vec like I moved to Israel and I frummed out and now I'm yelling at you rabbis in America. She was repeating a conversation from her Shabbos table of seminary girls who, who are sharing that frustration, that disappointment. So, so they're saying, 2,000 years of the rabbis in Sota saw that we're going to live in a time in which the winds are blowing, in which up is down and down is up and inside is out, and Avinu Sheba and we need to double down on our Jewish identity and our Jewish pride and our Torah learning and our Torah living, because it's the only way we're going to come out on the other side, the only way we're going to have a Jewish continuity. Look what's going on. 70% intermarriage rate. Look what's going on with assimilation. And when I talk about assimilation, I'm not talking about assimilation among the unaffiliated. I'm talking about assimilation among Orthodox Jews. Shomer Shabbos from Jews. Assimilation in our values. Flip through. I'm, I'm equally going to offend everybody with this now. I should have had a third cup of coffee. But flip through the Frumist Torah magazines right now, and assimilation is on every other page. What's being advertised in terms of the ostentatiousness and in terms of the, the, the materialism and consumerism, and it is, these aren't Jewish values. We're assimilated Torah Jews. The pressure to keep up and the emphasis on the consumerism, materialism, in the, in the frumis, so to say, those are not Jewish values. We're assimilated in all these directions. And this is what Chazal warned us. They said the closer and closer and closer you come to Mashiach, the, the, the stronger the winds are going to blow. The higher on the Richter scale, the earthquake is going to rock you. And there's only one thing that's going to keep you stable and safe and secure, and that is hold on tighter and tighter. Give Hashem a black and blue mark. 
Let your fingernails pierce his skin. Hold on tighter and tighter and tighter. It's not a time to let go. It's not a time to hold on loose. It's not a time to explore and let them discover for themselves. Another conversation with a parent choosing certain school option for their child. He says, I want my child to choose religion. I said, that's beautiful. And if they do choose, it'll be a, it'll be a richer life. But are you ready if they make the other choice? Are you prepared for what that means if they make the other choice? By the way, did you give them the choice whether to brush their teeth or not when they were three years old? Did you say, I want them to choose. Let all their teeth fall out and be filled with cavities because I want them to choose the beauty of brushing your teeth. Did you let them cut school? I want them to go to school because they chose to go to school. Or did you strap them in the car seat and get them to school and drop them off and hand them off? So where's our responsibility? Where's our vigilance? And where's our role that the stronger the wind is blowing and the the harder the, the earth is being rocked to hold on tighter and tighter and to grab the people we love to hold on tighter and tighter. We need a greater siyata deshmaya. We need a greater providence. We need Hashem's greater intervention. And so, Chevra friends, as we're going through this period of darkness, Omicron and Corona and uh, assimilation and assault and challenge, we have more prosperity than ever before. It's easier to live as a Jew than ever before. It's easier to live as a Jew than ever before. And we are a more prosperous Jewish people than ever before. In fact, this is a very big challenge that we have. We have 2,000 years of practice of how to live with nothing. 2,000 years of practice. We have a Mesorah, we have a tradition of how to live with persecution and oppression and taxation, how to live with expulsion. 2,000 years of practice. We don't have a lot of practice of how to live with prosperity. And it's killing us. It's killing us. How to live with prosperity, how to live with Jewish wealth, how to live with Jewish safety and security. We don't have a lot of practice when the host nation says, Shalom Aleichem, welcome, be just like us, join us, integrate, no problem, enjoy. We don't have a lot of practice. So these are very, very challenging and very dark times in many ways. And if we want to make it through the night to get to the sun rising in the morning, we got to hold on tighter and tighter and tighter. Tighter in mitzvos, and tighter with Torah learning, and tighter with Amuna, and tighter in talking about Hashem. Talking about Hashem. And if our child is going to that place because it's right for them, for some, it is correct. But every day that we talk to them, how's your neshama? Tell me, do you see Hashem on the campus? Are you taking classes that promote and increase your relationship with Hashem? How is your Jewish identity and your Jewish pride and your Jewish lifestyle and your Jewish practice? Are you making a kiddush Hashem? Are you lighting the world? Are you transforming the world? Are you bringing Hashem there to that campus? Yosef found himself in Mitzrayim. Going back to the last week, Yosef finds himself in Mitzrayim. But what does he do while he's there? Shem Shemaim Shkura Befiv. He can't stop talking about God. And he makes Paro into a Balchuva. Before the Paro we meet in our Parsha. But Paro, Shem Shemaim Shkura Befiv, because Yosef wears his yarmulke to work and around the campus and to classes. And he stands up and he confronts a professor who's assaulting Israel or attacking the Jew. And he stands up for, he says, These are our values and this is what we stand for and this is who we are. And I'm going to protect it and I'm going to stand for it. So these are the conversations I think that we have to be having. We have to model holding on tighter, and then we have to encourage and strengthen our children and our families to hold on tighter. And when we do a Mirtashem, we'll come out the other side to the light. Tonight, 9 o'clock, behind the Bima with my childhood friend, Joe Gittler, Joseph Gittler, founder of Leket Israel, amazing organization, doing great things, and he has a great story. And I uh, hope to see you then. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy.